And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Thank you and welcome everyone to Down the Garden Path podcast, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and try to educate you to seasonally manage your garden and landscapes. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me across Zoom is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Welcome, Matthew. Welcome, Joanne. Good evening, everyone. I am Matthew Dressing, owner uh, of Natural Affinity Garden Design. Uh, As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens which are sustainable and low maintenance we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And good evening, everyone, for joining us on uh, Down the Garden Path. Tonight, uh, we are kicking off a new month and a new theme, and that is hardscaping, landscaping, softscaping, kind of like more of the construction or the bigger scale of things, right, than specific plants uh, in the month of March. So we are going to do a deep dive. We're curious to know if you've got hardscaping questions, material questions, um, you know, the difference between hardscaping and, and softscaping, all of those things. So, uh, so yeah, so we are excited, aren't we, Matt? We are very excited. So if you have your questions, uh, perhaps there's a small project you've wanted to tackle, something that you're not quite sure about, or you uh, some sort of question about your hardscaping or landscaping, we'd love to hear from you in studio 101 at gmail.com to answer all of your hardscaping questions. That's right. So, um, and it's, it's March. Oh, it's like, ahead. and it came in, it's March and it came in like a lion, didn't it? Here. I was debating that this morning. It was kind of sunny. No, we're having some technical problems with Matt, so he's like too much of a breeze. Hey, Matt, if you can hear us, you're breaking up quite a bit for our listeners, so maybe you want to reset or maybe just go off a video, you know, for that, you know, that might help a little bit with your bandwidth there. Can you hear me now? We can. Okay, I went off video. Let me just do a couple. It's only that old and the notes open, so I'm not too sure. But Okay, no, that's good. If you need to be off video, Matt, that's okay. Everybody, uh, I'm sure you're all worse, used to this kind of thing, uh, this <laughs> time of uh, the world, right? We're all dealing with, uh, and I think everybody hops on Zoom around 7 o'clock. So thank you, listeners, for being patient. And, um, and I did want to, you know, see if there are any uh, questions, please, like Matt said. Um, you can, it's just Matt and I tonight, and we're excited to do a deep dive and talk about uh, some of the hardscape things. And we're excited. We've got some good shows planned for uh, the rest of the month on uh, this topic as well. So let me start off by talking about the difference. Like when I say hardscaping, I'm talking about all the harder surfaces and the like landscape construction in in a backyard or in a front yard not and not everybody has you know some people have something really elaborate pools cabanas retaining walls all those types of things but in your average yard you might still just have a front walkway and a back patio and that's fine and that would be considered as part of the landscaping project or the landscaping that's the hardscaping portion the hard surfaces and the construction 
versus things like the softscaping and the landscaping, which is more the plants and the trees and the lawn area, that type of thing. So does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Um, I've always kind of thought of, of the hardscaping and the softscaping as well. Um, just hardscaping is inorganic and the softscaping and the landscaping tend to be organic. There you and, go, sciencey person. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes, and maybe it's just me and then maybe it's not right. Um, sometimes uh, I'll also use the term landscaping as a brush to include both of them at the same time. Mm. Yeah, and I think people often do, um, for yeah. sure. And even as a landscape designer, I often, unfortunately, have to field many calls uh, where people will call my business that is a landscape design only business and ask me about repairing their front steps or repairing their driveway or doing some, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, just understanding the difference between uh, landscape. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think overall, I mean, they are landscape contract contractors and stuff that encompasses the whole thing. So maybe it's better to say softscaping, hardscaping, that is a better uh, definition. Um, and it's a good way. So if you're not familiar with the term, but yet you're looking at um, doing something in your yard, it is a good way to um, to approach someone, you know, because because a lot of the hardscapers that are doing a lot of construction type jobs there, they may not be interested in doing like a small garden for you, that type of thing. I mean, it just depends on, on what's happening and and the type and where you are in the world kind of thing. So you know, it's a good tool to ask, you know, are you just interested in hardscaping? Do you also do softscaping? Do you do softscaping only? You know, so it's another tool in your toolbox that help you uh, weed through the best, uh, the best contractor for the job. Uh, perfect. So. Sorry, I think I was cutting in and out there for a second. Um, yeah, you were out completely. <laughs> I am just horrible. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's okay. So Dwayne has written in uh, and Dwayne says, yes, everyone that uses Zoom has those issues. And I apologize. I'm just one of those ones who are just being totally buried in them right now. Yeah, that's right. Dwayne says, please don't fret. Um, my question, retaining walls or shrubbery? Mm -hmm. Do we not have a lot to hold back? Oh, sorry. Uh, we do not have a lot to hold back. So I was just wondering. So it sounds like he's got that issue where there's a slight grade and he's wondering if he's just going to, Dwayne, if you're going to and clarify if uh, I'm incorrect, mm -hmm. but yeah, you would like to sure. just kind of plant like a hedge or some shrubs there instead of a retaining wall, or do you mm -hmm. actually need a retaining wall to put those shrubs in depending on your grade? Mm hmm. Yeah, if you could clarify that for us, but Dwayne, but in the meantime, I can, I mean, I'm a shrub girl or a hedge girl. So I love my garden, edging my gardens with hedges um, that provide a nice, clean green wall, let's say. Um, and that certainly works whether the garden is flush with the lawn. It also works if the garden is elevated in a wall. Um, so if it's a difference between if you absolutely, if the grade changes, then really the best thing to do is a wall, or if it changes just slightly, you could do a curb. That is becoming more and more popular um, with our with our clients. And uh, the curbs are not are, are not like the concrete 
um, they are concrete and prefab, but they've come a long way in the sense that made, made them look a little bit more decorative. Not quite the scalloped edge decorative that we remember when we were growing up, but uh, you know, make them a nice, uh, a nice clean edge. But if it is a, star, a steeper grade, then it often is better to create a low wall um, to contain the garden. And that will really prevent everything from always leaching out into the grass or from the grass going in. Um, definitely. Um, so if that's, uh, so Dwayne, I'm sure can uh, clarify if that's what he meant. Um, but I do love having a low hedge, whether it's boxwoods or use um, as, uh, as an, a garden border. Um, I have that quite, quite a few of those at my house. Um, and my secret is that then nobody can see the weeds from the street or from the sidewalk because they're all behind the little hedge. So that's my little tip. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding it. Little garden dressing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's Very right. Nice. So, uh, Oak Lane has just written back, um, said exactly, Matt, you're right on. Um, and now you put me on the spot remembering. So it just sounds like, yeah, there's a slight grade. Uh, he's just wondering, Dwayne, if you want a wall and then some shrubs. So just yeah. like Joanne said, totally depending on on that grade. Once you start getting into, you know, six inches or higher, that drop, that's definitely where wall considerations uh, come into play for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, so now, Dwayne, we need to know which one is it? How how big is that grade? That's and, right. And, are you thinking more shrubs or versus wall or a combo of both? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I did want to speak a bit to the wall because I think that tends to be something, um, one that I have to, I kind of have to explain to clients and even landscapers like contractors in that it, in order to build the wall and same with patios, actually, even though the wall may only be a foot deep, uh, you know, a foot or 10, sometimes only 10 inches, depending on the material you're using wide they still in order to do it properly so now that's the the key there is properly um with all hardscaping it is about the base so, so it's yeah so it's about all the stuff you can't see right so i'm gonna just jump in and, and maybe as you continue eric has just written in uh he says uh hello my husband and i are going to put in a walkway and patio this coming summer my question is this in, in caps, uh, how much base material do you use for a minimum thickness in brackets for a walkway and a patio? Thank you. Ah, uh, well, um, so I don't know if I'm going to get into tech, technical um, specs there, but ICP, is it ICPI? I'm going to look where the Institute of Co uh, Contra Concrete Pavers, they change and they update all the time. And that's where a lot of the guys base how they base, no, use that word twice, um, get all their specs on how to do a proper installation. I will say that you're going beyond six inches. So uh, it's definitely very important to do a, uh, and again, it depends where you are in the world. So we're here where we have to deal with the freeze and thaw. So there's a little bit um, that changes that. So I think finding out what your local specs are is really important. Um, as well as the different kinds of materials. But regardless, like I was going to say about the wall, you will always do, if your walkway is five feet, you are probably going to end up digging probably seven feet wide. And same with the retaining wall. The retaining wall or garden wall might only be 10 inches wide, but you're going to have to do a bit of an overdig. And think of it as like a shoulder or um, just something that that 
So it's creating the base, not only right under the stone, but on either side as well to support it. So when we talk about um, garden walls, often, you know, homeowners will say to contractors, oh, I don't want the garden too big. I, I only want it, you know, three feet, four feet deep or four feet, you know, deep from the house out to the wall. Um, but the problem is when there, when there's a wall that all of that uh, gravel and all of that base material is still beyond the wall. So you're really, so if you're asking for a three foot deep bed, you're really looking at only a two foot deep bed because nothing is gonna grow. As us designers, I always like to remind contractors, um, plants do not grow in, in uh, limestone, <laughs> grow in stone, yeah. they don't like it. So it's better to go bigger for many reasons, even beyond that, um, thinking of scale, thinking of the size of the house, and it's not, and I think people think, oh, I don't want the garden too big because it's too much to maintain. But really the maintenance, uh, and I've said this on the show before, it's all about the right plant in the right spot. And if you're constantly having to keep these shrubs or these plants into the smaller space, then that's the maintenance as opposed to doing a bigger bed and where if you didn't touch the plants, it filled, naturally filled the bed and you're not constantly having to, to maintain it. So, uh, so really often uh, bigger is better and lower maintenance. So that's something for sure. Yeah. Um, and so for, so hopefully I answered so hopefully, the question about the base. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So Erica, just going to basically check with your, your technical specs and, and everything around you for sure. Okay. Um, another question has popped in. Chris writes, hello, thanks for taking my email to you. Uh, what should we look for in a landscape designer, credentials, pictures or videos of work, insurance, business rating? Not sure what to do. What is the most important? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think credentials, I think their portfolio, you know, whether they, because whether you like their work and, and they do the type of the scope of work that you are looking for. So I think that's, you know, education is part of it. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, it's still gotta be a good fit. So I think we're, you know, many of us are, and there's some old quote unquote, old school uh, landscape designers that are super, super talented, um, but might not have had a formal education in it or might've had more of a design or interior design you know, uh, education, because landscape design, you know, I guess it's been around, it has been around a long time, but depending on where you are, um, you know, not a lot of programs, but sometimes people just have a really good eye and they've picked it up or they've been trained from inside the firm. Um, so just because they might not have a college diploma or a certificate like I have, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, credentials plays a part in it, but I think experience and I think um, their portfolio to see if they're a really good fit and a conversation. So, you know, even over the phone, I think it makes it easier versus having it face-to-face -face and it's awkward. Um, you know, you can have a, you know, have a conversation over the phone and ask some of the questions. They'll have questions for you too. And I think you can tell right away if you're the right fit. Okay, yeah. Answers. I can talk about, that could be a whole show and it might that even be, be later this month. I was just gonna say, yeah, that could be like its own show. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Definitely take a look at, at the portfolio, Chris. A lot of people are going to have different styles, different mm -hmm. layers. Um, everyone's going to have 
you know, different likes and dislikes. So definitely take a look at their portfolio. And then just what Joanne followed up on afterwards, right? They could have the most beautiful portfolio in the world. You love their work, but you know, you meet or converse with this person for five minutes and it's just like, no, no, we can't. So just that relationship with that designer, that contractor, are they listening to you? Are they asking mm -hmm. you questions? That interpersonal connection is just as important as moving forward with that design because mm -hmm. you don't want to get three more weeks in and then it's like an episode of some tv talk show where everything goes sideways that's that's yeah. not the experience that we want our clients to have mm -hmm. uh, and that you as a, a client or um, a consumer of any good or service wants to experience as well so yeah definitely take a look around at those portfolios and don't be afraid to converse with those designers and don't be afraid to say no yeah um, yeah right don't be afraid to say no that you know what you're just not a great fit I love your work but thank you for your time and, and walk away yeah I mean and I think you mentioned insurance and business rating I mean I think insurance uh shows you the level of profession professionalism they have because you know they should have you know and and liability insurance at least here in in Ontario um, business rating I, I think that's harder to do but you can look at Google reviews often that will tell you some um, most websites uh, have testimonials, that type of thing too. So, uh, so yeah, I think you can uh, you can get a lot from from those things. So, thank you for that great question, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. The questions are continuing to roll in, so we will. Uh, keep That's perfect in. for a question and answer uh, uh, show, isn't it, Matt? That is. <laughs> so, Steve has written in. First time listening to you all. Thanks for the promo. Uh, living in Delson, Montreal. Very interesting show. Liking it, Steve. Um, thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for tuning in for the first time. We hope you enjoy our uh, your hardscaping questions answered. I, I would love to ask you, Steve, just as you say, thank you for the promo. Um, are you thinking about, like, do you mean we've seen our promotion for our show somewhere where you are? And I'd love to know what it is. Or uh, did you hear something that we were promoting uh, that you liked. A little bit more of a promotion as Steve just jumps in. Don't forget, Steve, um, you can Google Down the Garden Path or search Down the Garden Path podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps, and you can check up uh, or catch up on lots of different topics over at least four years of uh, podcast and radio as well. So thank you again for your question, Steve. We've also got John who's written in. John writes, nice show tonight. Do you use anything for weed control on your landscape beds? My neighbor used plastic ugh, for his weed control uh, and it is working, but I'd rather not use plastic if I do not have to. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please don't use plastic. No, and the landscape fabrics really, unless you've got like some sort of invasive weed, if like something seriously noxious is in the area, even the landscape fabrics, they are basically those geotextiles. A lot of them are so close to plastic that very little water uh, penetrates through. So no, you don't need to use plastic, John. Um, just be basically making sure that you're up on your maintenance. We, I, or at least I recommend at least two to three inches of mulch down will help control those weeds. It will not guarantee that weeds will never appear. Some weeds are a little bit more resilient and adaptive than other species, and they will grow in just some, you know, caught debris 
inside the mulch and sprout, but they're super easy to pull out or weed. Uh, you can basically just fluff the soil with the end of a leaf rake or just lightly with the back of a cultivator, pick them out and, and you're good to go. So you're gonna add uh, some mulch is gonna help you maintain the water, cool the soil, keep your plants roots nice and healthy, but also create a nice barrier of uh, uh, protection against all those weeds from really rooting in them, making the maintenance a lot more easy. That's right. And one point I'll make, John, is often a lot of the weed seeds that blow in are not coming from uh, like the plastic and the fabric and anything that's spread on top of a garden is assuming that the weeds are coming from below. But often they are just blown in, you know, from the lawn, from your neighbors, from, you know, who knows where. So they, you know, doing that plastic Eventually, I mean, it might have worked for the first year for your neighbor, but eventually with the soil on top of the plastic, really the, the weeds are still going to come. And you also lose the ability to improve that soil and uh, move your plants around. You know, we could go on and on, but uh, that's why we don't recommend plastic or, um, or fabric because really you want to, the soil is living and you want to keep it living and being able to amend it and, and do different things to it. You want the worms to work away at it. And all of that is, you know, important to the health of your plants. So there you go. Yeah. Great point about blowing in as I'm kind of picturing like the noxious weeds coming in by stolons and rhizomes and runners uh, and stuff like that for, so for sure. Yeah. Most of the weeds are blown in or brought in on the wind or us. Gordon has written in a question. Uh, Gordon says, hello, I'm a new listener to your show from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thank you, Gordon. We love hearing where all of our listeners are from. Um, so thank you for letting us know. Uh, he says, hi, what is meant by undisturbed soil? Thank you. So pretty much what it means, Gordon, is just that the soil is undisturbed. So we can top dress with compost. Uh, to add a new layer of soil to invigorate those microorganisms. The organic matter will release uh, a number or a, a small amount uh, of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium into the soil. It'll encourage those microorganisms to physically build and incorporate themselves, uh, as well as reincorporate or, or change some of that soil structure uh, down below your bed. So undisturbed soil, we're not cultivating it, we're not tilling it, we're not flipping it over, we're not disturbing the texture of the soil itself. So it's basically just sitting there. Um, there was a, a farmer in California, I saw he went into, this video is probably 10 or 12 years old uh, by now, but he was going into more sustainable practices and he had undisturbed soil. The only thing he did was pick a weed and like throw it back on, like just chop the weed and leave it there for uh, green material for the compost and the, the microorganisms to break down into the soil. But these the farmer farming agency in California came out and you they can test your soil by sticking I don't know what the, the test is specifically but they basically stick a large probe stick into your soil to see how loose and how much topsoil you have and this stem by undisturbed just weeding it and adding compost went down upwards of like 10 feet straight down uh, it was unbelievable how the undisturbed soil was just fed organically by the farmer's compost by leaving those weeds and the structure basically became natural and, and undisturbed. The other thing to note about undisturbed soil, um, just as we like to talk a little bit about the environment here or there, um, 
soil, undisturbed soil is a huge carbon sink. So you, the soil is actually trapping a lot of CO2. And every time we disturb this soil, we're actually causing it to uh, come out and release that CO2 back into the atmosphere. So areas of undisturbed soil are CO2 sinks and they absorb a lot of that CO2 and oh, yeah. trap it in the earth. Mm -hmm. I'll stop going on now. <laughs> Oh, that's so um, funny, so, I know and he said this is great we thought we'd be like hardscaping construction questions and we're getting some science questions just for you you know there you go. <laughs> um I can read Liam's uh message so oh, perfect. Liam, yes. uh, Liam has written us from uh, from Maine which is zone 5a similar to us uh and he wants to plant and grow a small ornamental tree on his property something that doesn't get too big and doesn't need a lot of maintenance but looks fantastic any suggestions uh, lots of suggestions, uh, Liam. Your exposure, like how much sun it gets, um, would help. Uh, Matt, do you have a favorite small ornamental tree? And how Ooh. small, Liam? So exposure was, and how small? <laughs> that was going to be my question. Yeah, I know. Small ornamental tree, I yeah. immediately jump to a, like a standardized shrub. So something that's been grafted that grows right. only so big. It's usually less than about, you know, definitely less than 10 by 10, but on average, probably closer to six by six, seven by seven. But, yeah. um, or are you wanting something a little bit bigger than that? More of like a dwarf tree where you're like 15 feet by 15 feet kind of range. And there's Yes, yeah. So then I so, think of like ivory silk lilac or... Right. Uh, service berry, which is native, uh, which would be which would be lovely, and they would get you know at maturity kind of fifteen feet, as opposed to you know a large tree that might get forty feet, right? Right. So yeah. yes. Uh, so we would love to answer your question, but I think we need a little bit more from you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Thanks, Liam. Uh, so Monique has written in. Hello to Joanne and Matthew. A little bit of an off-topic for you. Will landscape fabric protect plants from frost or not? I have an entire assortment of plants. You name it, anything that grows here in the GTA. Thank you. How are you using it? Are you using it like the stereotypical way where you're putting it in the ground or on the ground? No, but you if you were using it, for example, we were gonna have, it's, it's nice and warm, we have a risk of frost and you use it kind of like a crop cover or like a dome, something like that, that might help get the frost off for sure. But but just in general, having it down, protecting things from frost, no, the ground will still freeze and thaw and heave and that's still all on the table as far as the landscape fabric. But if you were doing it just as a cover to protect some crops uh, that maybe are cold tolerant, uh, but might a frost nip them and take some damage on them? Or like if we have a warm spring and your hydrangeas start to bud and a frost is coming, just kind of covering, you know, especially the macrophylla group like the endless summers, they are definitely sensitive that way, the thicker, lusher uh, leaves, but it would protect that way, but not in the ground itself. But that's a great question, Monique. Thank you very or much. For, I mean, you could do that with a vegetable garden too, right? If you've already yes. planted out your vegetables, uh, in a few few months so not anytime soon and they're calling for like a you know rare little last late frost or something like that you could run out and cover cover the crops with uh, landscape fabric and that would help um but uh but yes using it in in like a normal in a garden with soil and mulch on top um not, not so, much. so much 
I always like the frost tip too, Monique, with, um, I learned that there, or heard, um, that the uh, Florida orange growers use or do this, is they'll go out and they'll mist their crops um, so that you just get droplets, a very fine mist and a droplet on the orange. And the frost, the temperatures have to switch the kinetic energy out of the droplets between the air and the droplet. So it diffuses and breaks the frost before it can actually like settle right on. If it's a super deep freeze, that's just gonna turn to ice and do nothing. But if it's a light frost settling in, that'll also melt them off as well. I would personally do that as well as some covering if I could. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I grow on a condo, I'm, I have a balcony, so I just whip them in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh goodness. Gracious. Time is flying. Oh my goodness. The show's going quick. Time is absolutely flying. And I just want to take a second to say thank you for joining us here down the garden path here on Reality Radio 101. Uh, Thank you to all the new listeners, or if you're just joining us after our winter break, welcome back. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant and helpful topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research, from our guests that join us here on the show. There's a wealth of information that we love to share with you. So don't forget to spend more time with us down the garden path because you can find us on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please subscribe to be notified of new content, like, share, and we love to hear where you're from, where you're listening from, uh, and how your garden is doing. So don't forget to also say hi and leave us a comment. That's right. And you can also reach us at our websites as well. So my website is downtoearth.ca with the number two. And all my social media links are there and email as well. So that's a good uh, place to track me down. And Matt? Yeah, you can find me at uh, www.naturalaffinity.ca and all my social media links and everything is there as well. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, so yeah, so we're excited that we have so many new listeners. I know everybody's getting into the little bit of a garden bug, even now that we're into March, although we're still a little ways away from getting outside, depending on where you are. Uh, it's still a little chilly, but uh, and the ground's not quite ready, but it's still nice to think about, isn't it? That is right. I am super excited. I got some new grow lights that arrived today and ah, all my house plants and I'm ready to seed. So oh, the bug okay. is definitely in the air, but we're not quite ready to That's get right. out there yet. Well, I'm glad to talk about hardscaping. I know we've got a lot of uh, shows and most of our whole season of shows is about the plant material, but I just think it's, it took a real, really looking forward to this month to kind of do a d- deeper dive on the landscaping and hardscaping material and just give people a better understanding um, on best practices and, and answer any questions that they may have. So, um, so yeah. Um, That's right. I was just going to share maybe one of the um, most common questions that I get for hardscaping um, just from my garden center side of things is about limestone screenings. Mm. Um, So crushed limestone and dust particulate all in a big bag. Uh, They often people ask, um, is it a good base to put down under paving stones and where it will definitely work in I think some very quick and some very dirty ways 
like if you just need to stabilize one patio stone or something, it's a DIY project for sure. Um, but when you're coming down to putting a patio or any sort of hardscaping surface down, definitely want to use a proper base of you know your three quarter clear or your uh, three quarter granite with some uh, sand or uh, other fine particulate in there. Um, depending on again where you are in your specs, anywhere from three to 12 inches or more, depending on what project you're using uh, with that two inches of that nice sand and then a nice level graded surface. So you can use limestone screenings, but once you get them down there and they get a few seasons uh, of some good water and some good compaction, they're basically another concrete pad you've put down under there and they're a mess. Uh, or can be a mess to really get out of that space when you you're moving on to the next level of the project or you really need to redo it. But. Yeah, yeah, I think the biggest thing about limestone and it was certainly the standard for a long time. So anybody who has an older patio like 10 years or more, or, you know, um, probably has limestone and they are often it's often the reason why especially in in the gta or anywhere where there's a freeze and thaw cycle where things shifted because unfortunately limestone has all that dust you know and mm. that dust is what absolutely absorbs the water so it's not as free draining so some of the other stones that matt mentioned um, hpb is another one where it's just they're clear so they've kind of separated them um, so that the water the water just runs through it so improves drainage improves moving the water and really helps with the freeze and thaw so definitely i mean i know all not our freeze and thaw doesn't affect all of our listeners depending on where you are but that's something that you can look into or you can talk to your contractor about when you're getting pricing and i think it's also the the if you're talking to multiple people then that's something that you definitely need to ask because it will affect the price so the other thing with limestone is it's cheap. So, you know, so if there's a big price difference between uh, your quotes, then that's something to investigate further. I'm like, what kind of screening, how deep are you going? And really make sure that everybody is quoting the, the same thing, the same amount of work. Yes, so, excellent point, mm -hmm. excellent point. And, and just to backpedal two seconds, just for those who are listening clear, as we say, like a clear gravel. There's mm -hmm. gravel, but like Joanne was saying, there's no other subparticulate. There's no dust. There's no smaller stone. It's all a uniform stone product with no residue that's mixed in there. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That's right. They will do like a, 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 I forget what it's called when they do it as the final uh, leveling material. It will be a, a finer material, um, but uh, that's just so that they you know, can get a flat compacted surface. Uh, that type of thing. But um, again, we're landscape designers and not landscape contractors, but I know these are often uh, many of the questions that uh, we ask clients and we're hope we will have a landscape contractor on the show uh, next week. So we can have some more questions for uh, his name is also Matt. So it'll be Joanne and the two Matts tomorrow, next week, <laughs> if all goes according to planned. Um, but uh, so we can get down into a bit more nitty gritty there, but we definitely, um, you know, want you to understand the difference and that uh, again, you know, limestone in, in areas that don't have freeze and thaw, limestone might be the standard. Um, but that's just not where we work. So uh, we definitely don't want to overstep. Um, so I want you to just check for and talk to somebody in your uh, area. Exactly. 
So we do have a number of listener questions pouring right. in. Um, let's take a look here. So we have uh, P. Rison um, writing in and saying, hi there, love your advice. This is the first time I'm listening to you. I live in Manhattan, New York City. Uh, your website, thank you. I think we may have said that just, before. Yeah, that's just... why I, I saw that email, which is why I jumped in with our website. So you've oh, got okay. our websites there. Uh, there you go. So, that's right. That's right. So uh, just in case they missed it, it's I'm at uh, naturalaffinity.ca uh, with all my social media and you're at uh, down the number to earth.ca with all of your social media there as well. That's right. I'm sorry. I didn't see your segue yeah, there. No, no, it's okay. I... <laughs> Perfect. Um, Stan so, is written in. Uh, oh, Stan is written in. Yep. So Stan's written in best time to reseed the lawn early spring, March or April. I am in the GTA. Uh, it's coming up definitely. Um, Stan, if this weather holds and we're going to get some plus degrees, it might be a little earlier than not, but more often than not, we're looking at April and the beginning to mid of it. We can put the seed down now, but again, we need some overnight temperatures close to the nine to 10 degree range, as well as some warmer daytime temperatures for it to really start to kick in and for you to see something. So we're close, but we're definitely about a month away still, a month and a bit, depending That's on the right. weather. That's right. I just did my Down the Garden Path uh, newsletter today. I just wrote it. It hasn't gone out to my subscribers yet, but I definitely, and my March to tips were like, no, ignore those um, commercials that are going to start soon <gasps> about seeding and, and grass seed and, and grass fertilizers. You know, really, that's going to be another month away. So definitely, thank you for the questions, Dan. And just for those who just kind of clicked in and do it, did you hear Joanne has a, a newsletter that uh, don't forget you can subscribe to her newsletter at triple uh, down the number to earth.ca and uh, get her monthly tip sheet or her tip newsletter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just throw that in there. Yeah, often things we've mentioned on the show, it just tells you what to do and what not to do in your garden each month. And it's been a handy tool uh, for my listeners and for um, my clients, past clients. I can't answer all their questions uh, from doing the gardens over the years, but I can be proactive and tell them ahead of time. So, uh, so yeah, so it's been, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to send out monthly. That's right. Oh, so Jake has a really good questions and I want to, I was hoping to talk about this. So thank you, Jake. Yes, um, that was on our list. That's right. So I'll just read it, Matt, if that's okay. Hi there. Um, what type of jointing sand do you recommend for putting in a walkway with brick? I've heard di different answers on this. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Jake, for that's a great question. The newer, um, you know, they're improving, improving every year. We get new products, but it's called polymeric sand. And it's very different from the old sand that people, brick sand that people would put between the, the paving stones that often got uh, blamed for, um, you know, weeds growing and ants taking away, that type of thing. So the nice thing about polymeric sand, but it also works best with the newer type stones as well, because the newer stones have larger gaps. So that's the key here is sometimes putting the polymeric sand down between old stone won't have, it'll have a better, better technique or better success rate, but won't have as good of a success rate compared to the newer 
bricks because they allow for um, larger gaps. And so what happens is there's more space for more sand to go down in between the pavers. And then the contractors, once it's swept in really well and bags and bags, and they're not just putting one bag down, they're putting multiple bags down to make sure that all of the joints are, are, uh, are covered very thoroughly. And then when they wet it, that sand actually turns into like a grout. Is it 100%? I will be honest and tell you no. Is it much better than it, the old way? Absolutely. So, um, and it might need in some spots that maybe water, you have some runoff, you to have a spare bag on hand and, uh, and do some touch-ups every couple of years, but uh, it's come a long way. So polymeric sand, and uh, that's something uh, that you can look for. That's right. Uh, sorry, I was just looking at the questions and, okay, and no uh, reading away. Uh, you caught me off guard. Um, who do we have? So I think Alice had another que a next question. Um, Alice says, hi, do you recommend any type of fruit tree growing in your yard? I have a little bit of space, sunny most of the day, zone 5A. Uh, I'm not sure if I should just plant a regular tree or take up the space with a fruit tree. Mm. Alice fruit trees, depending on what you get and what you like, can take up even more room than just one because a lot of them need another uh, cultivar of the same, like another apple needs another apple to actually uh, be pollinated and pollinate well. And you also then want them within 100 feet of each other, which isn't usually too hard. But what I would do is take a look in zone 5A. Um, we're here in zone 5B. We've got peaches, nectarines, apples, pears, plums, all sorts. Take a look at what fruit you want to grow, you want to eat. And then I would recommend looking for one of the grafted multiples in one. So there's a number of them where you can get four apples on a tree, four pears on a tree, and you eliminate the need for another uh, tree or another, I just read the word shrub. It's going to say shrub, uh, but you eliminate the, the uh, need for another tree because they'll all four will pollinate themselves. So that'll keep it uh, low as well. How about size though, Matt? How big do those get? I mean, I think four is excessive too. I think, isn't there one that just has two varieties? Not often, no. Usually it's all, yeah, it's always in like the threes and the fours. Okay. Um, they're all generally semi-dwarf trees. So they're okay. all going to grow to about 12 feet by 12 feet, but that's from where they are on the graft. And they're usually a couple feet off the ground. What I would end up doing, and again, we probably go on a long time, bring Susan Poisoner back on the show, uh, just talking about maintaining and pruning down your fruit trees. So Alice, you could keep it to a shape to keep vigorous growth and better fruiting and an open canopy to maximize your yearly harvest as well. So that's a whole other, whole other shot, but yeah, yeah we so can. Let's do a shout out to the orchardpeople.com and that's yeah. a, a, a listener friend of ours, Susan Poisner has, uh, she specializes in uh, fruit trees and she has a show on reality radio as well. And uh, so yeah, so she'd love to, you know, you can re look at her information and, and she can really, that would really help you pick the right thing, I think. That's right. That's right. Perfect. So, um, Continuing with the questions, or did we did we have a point? Another point on we're good. No, that's good. I know it's hard because we don't see each other. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I'm totally off because of bandwidth issues. Um, so Karen has written in. 
Uh, hell, this is the very first time that I'm listening to your broadcast. Very cool. Okay, yes, I am a do-it-yourselfer. Uh, please don't yell at me. No worries, Carrot. No worries. That's okay. Um, how do you figure out how much sand and gravel you need for a project? Are there set ways to figure this out? For instance, 100 bricks, you'll need X amount of sand, etc. Uh, any help would be very much appreciated. First, definitely, Karen, uh, get in touch with your uh, local contractor um, to help you out and calculate all of that out. It totally depends on the scope, the size of your project. Are there walls involved? Is there a driveway involved? Are you doing like a little thing? But I know, sorry, you did say you were a do-it-yourselfer. Um, yeah, so where you buy, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second, because yeah, where yeah. you buy the material. So if you are a DIYer, then where they That's sell true, the too. material they, if you give them the measurements of your, I mean, they will have the, all the math to um, to help you figure out, you know, how much sand you need, how much mulch you need for a garden. If you give them the square footages, usually they have the formulas. Uh, so that is, if you, especially if you're doing it yourself, you're obviously not going to ask a contractor and he's obviously not going to tell you, but, um, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's where I suggest doing that is to call um, them and let them know, you know, what you, what the size of your project is. Because even with the stones, it depends on how big the stones are. So they all have their specifications on how, you know, what their coverage rates are. So it's a little hard for us to, uh, to, to do on the show. Yes. And I don't even think yeah. I can do it. Like it's really, they're, they're going to know their products and they're going to know um, how they, how they sell it. So hope that yes. helps. I hope that helps and answers your question. And thank <laughs> you for listening. Um, I have Steve's question. Um, Steve Long, uh, has said, what are the easiest perennial plants to grow and maintain? Wow. Well, that's a long list. <laughs> I can tell you some of my favorites, um, Steve. I definitely love, uh, again, it depends on what zone you're in. So I'm going to assume you're kind of five-ish. Um, if not, you let me know. Um, I love Roseanne. There's a few that I love that are long blooming. So made in November, I would say Roseanne Geranium is one of my favorites. Um, they've come up with a new one because that one can get kind of a little bit big uh, in spread. And uh, they've come up with Azure Blue Rush uh, Perennial Geranium, which are uh, great. They bloom again, May until November. Like they will still have be in bloom when the snow comes. It's, it's such a great plant for that. Um, I do like my salvias, they also bloom. Uh, kind of late May till October. So I definitely like uh, my long blooming plants. Um, and cat, and they all seem to be purple, but cat mint is also my third favorite. And again, long blooming, a wonderful pollinator. The bees love it. Um, so I would say, and it comes in, you know, different sizes. You can have it big, you can have it, uh, there's newer varieties that are smaller, but uh, I'll give a shout out for those three perennials. Um, and Steve, you'll definitely have to listen for the rest of the season because we'll have lots more. Uh, what month is it, Matt? We're talking, is it June? We're talking all about perennials. That's right. I think June is perennials and we're going to look at some really awesome perennials for those situations. Excellent. That's right. We've got some more questions. Lots more questions. We've got, uh, after that, we've got Joe is written in. Hello, we want to plant some kind of bush or hedge along our fence line on our side of the fence. We want this for more privacy and for dampening uh, some of the sound from our deck, which is 25 feet away from the fence. 
The area that we want to do this is mostly sunny all day, and we have about 60 feet of horizontal to, space to do this. Uh, what would you recommend to plan for easy maintenance and hardiness? We are in the Santa Fe, New Mexico zone six. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely up here, Joe, what's popular, I mean, is everything upright and narrow? What jumps to me immediately is, I mean, I think everyone's standby is, is uh, emerald cedars um, or some sort of upright white, eastern white cedar. Um, you might find some upright uh, western cedars. The other uh, things that we have up here that we, a lot of people like are the Dawick beaches, uh, D-A-W-Y-C-K beaches. So they grow about seven feet wide. Um, beaches tend to be slower growing though. So you, you'd have to buy them in at a certain size uh, and they grow about 24 feet tall. Um, uh, anything else jumping out to you? Immediately some oaks, but they get bigger. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's. You it sounds like you've got lots of space, and some of it is depending on the type of fence you have too. So whether you need coverage from like cedars work great, or evergreens will work great because you're getting coverage from the ground mm. up. But if you have already a wooden fence and you're really wanting something to go from the top of the wooden fence higher, then that's where I would focus on like columnar trees, um, for that standpoint. And uh, so, yeah, so columnar trees, oak trees, pyramidal oaks, um, even, well, the maples, like those, those uh, they grow quickly. Again, I think, well, zone six isn't too bad, right, Matt? Because we're just 5B. We're so, 5B and six in some spots, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so definitely there are some columnar maple trees that grow and they're super hardy and they grow fast actually. And so that gives you where, you know, if it if you do have a wooden fence, then you're looking at trunks, you know, at the fence level, and then you get, you have green above the fence, uh, that type of thing. And sometimes they do um, start growing a little bit lower too. So it depends on the inventory. Um, uh, hornbeam, pyramidal hornbeam is also something that will start growing a little bit lower on the trunk and but it's still a deciduous yeah tree. that's a good one yeah so there are a few of those that can help you create uh create uh, that hedge look yeah and if you've got a little bit of space just thinking about the narrower maples some things like the armstrong series of maples are, are good a little bit narrower than typical that's right um, oh, all right. So Tim has written in, uh, nice show. Do you folks have any books out with information on hardscaping? If so, where can I put, purchase one? I like your style. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tim. We do not have a book about hardscaping, but we love talking about gardening every week and landscaping and all those things every week here on uh, Reality Radio 101. And we have our, and if you miss our show or, or can't make it, then you can catch us on our podcast um at uh, down the garden path podcast on your favorite podcast app and we weave you know different hardscaping things uh into our topics as as much as we can our landscaping things and all of that so thank you for listening that's right josh is also uh quickly uh written in love you guys love susan poisoner happy growing this year and thank you josh and same you, josh. to you Ralph has also written in, uh, yo all, I'm a landscaper here in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, just listening for some tips. Love your radio show. Stay growing. Thank you very much, Ralph. Thank um, you, Ralph. Hope we're doing okay talking for landscapers or doing this deep dive. 
Yes, hopefully we're doing you guys well. Oh, okay. So Charlie has written oh, in. Yeah. Uh, I may sound, oh, hi Joanna and Matt, I may sound like an idiot here, but what is the pea gravel and what is it used for? Oh, okay. And I hear everybody mentioning that stuff. Okay. Well, no offense, it, you're not an idiot, but they're like like little peas. <laughs> right yes. pea gravel so it's pea uh uh charlie so they are you know if you think of river rock and gardens um they're large you know smoother stones and they come really large medium and small but then below that you would get a pea gravel so it's gravel but it's like nicer to like walk on than it's still not ideal but it's nicer to walk on than let's say gravel gravel that has sharp edges so I, they're just like tiny little they're stone um, but yeah, so they often you'll see them on pathways between houses, you know, sometimes lots of people have stepping stones laid in pea gravel. So that that's is right. what pea gravel is. So that's a great question, Charlie. Thank you very much for that. There you go. A, a quick, maybe hardscaping tip as, as Charlie's asking about pea gravel. Um, if you're trying to do like a dry riverbed mm. type of thing, um, the ratio you want three sizes of stone. So you want a smaller, a medium, and a large, and you can choose to find yourself what small, medium, large is, but you want a ratio of one to two to one. Uh, so the smaller stone you choose is a one, twice as many of the medium size you choose, and one of the largest, and you get a very nice, um, almost dry, very natural looking. It's all the different proportions and the, the, that ratio and the size of those stones give you that visual kind of look out in nature. Oh, that's, that's a good tip, Matt. I'm going to have to tell my guys about that. Well, so there you, you go. <laughs> thank you. So, um, and Clyde has written in saying, greetings, fantastic show tonight. Bark chips, colored or natural? Oh, Clyde, you haven't been listening. You must be a new listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, please say no to colored. So all of our listeners, um, natural is the way to go. You want something that one of the purposes of the bark and the mulch is to add, um, add, uh, oh my goodness, what's the word? Add nutrients to the garden as it breaks down. The mulch is always yes. going to break down. You're always going to have to reapply it um, every few years. So composted pine, composted cedar, that type of thing. Um, my dislike for the colored, aside from the color, is they also, they just, they hide that it's basically shredded palette and shredded appreciate pressure treated wood and so that's why they dye it so that you can't tell that it's really not good good for your garden so it's kind of like what did one of what did david say one of the arborists we had it's like mcdonald's for your garden right oh yeah um, versus versus vegetables so so definitely and i know that people sometimes people love that clean black look um it looks good but again people should be looking i always say when i had a lot of people that loved the red mulch um, because it looks so good. And I'm like, well, do you want people, you spend all this money in a garden and all this work on a garden and do you want them looking at your mulch or do you want them looking at your garden? So really the mulch is supposed to be in the background. The garden is supposed to be the feature and, uh, and definitely go with something that's good and nutritious uh, for your garden. So natural all the way. That's right. And the bigger chunks that you have of the bark, it steals a lot of nitrogen um, from the soil and those uh, microorganisms break that down. So you're actually robbing the plant of that, that valuable uh, nitrogen that's nearby. Um, as we reach the last few minutes, very quickly, okay. Kelly, 
Um, loving the show tonight, lots of info. We're going to be placing some low voltage lighting around our backyard. My husband is a certified electrician and he's never done this type of work before. Any hints, tips, or stayaways? Thank you. Ooh. That's, that's a good that's one. A, that's a good one. That's kind of a whole show. Um, I would say my few tips are less is more. So you don't want, so low voltage lighting, it's subtle. Um, you definitely want less is more. Uh, and you want to make sure you're you're alternating between you know the type of lighting like path lighting or lighting on the steps versus um, uplighting your trees if you've got ornamental trees or large trees uh, you want to up large trees I would uplight as well as put a light in the tree and light down I actually took a lighting course last week and I didn't know that I always thought you put you put it shining down in a big tree but they said it's important to do it both lighting it up from the ground up as well as lighting it in the tree down. And uh, so, yeah, so I think you, you, it's one of those things where you don't want it to look like an airport, right? You wanna, so I think subtle less <laughs> is more uh, is my greatest tip. So I hope that helps. I and think we that was do a... have, did we, have we done a lighting show? Oh my goodness, I have to think about that. So I think we have. <laughs> so if we do, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes for you as well. So you can link back to the lighting show. Exactly. And Bill's question and comment, um, rounding out the last of the show as we close for this evening uh, here on Reality Radio 101. Bill writes in, great show. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, cannot wait to get out into the garden website for you guys. So you can find me, Matthew Dressing, uh, at www.naturalaffinitydesigns.ca with my email and all my social media links there as well. And my lovely co-host, Joanne Shaw, can be found at... downtoearth.ca with the number two. So you can find me there and again, all my social media links. You can also please follow the show. We'd love for you to follow us on Instagram. So you can search for Down the Garden Path podcast on Instagram and we are, we are there as well as we do have a private. So especially for people who like to ask a lot of questions, we'd love for you to join our Down the Garden Path podcast Facebook group. Um, Matt, I can't say we live there, but we pop in and out and we would love to have some more interaction in there and some more questions and comments and love your feedback on the show there as well. But that is a good way to reach us directly. That's right. As the outro music plays us away, thank you again, everyone, for joining us here uh, as we do every Monday night uh, down the garden path on Reality Radio 101. We hope you'll join us next week live. Uh, thank you, everyone. Have a lovely week. Stay safe. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.